0: I think for the most part, it's just that really, really the demand capture versus generation is something that's really been taking the steam as the market has churned. Being able to tell your CEO, like there was this much capture available. We got this much. Also, on top of that, we generated this much outside of that from creating interest. On it. And again, it, that's looking at it from those two buckets independently and, and actually tracking your metrics on that. Because again, capture is a very different skill set to grow.
1: Absolutely. It's uh, simple and fundamental, but it's extremely important, especially when you have got to to do more with less. Reach for the low-hanging fruit and then go up to the next level if you can, if you have anything left.
0: And make sure everyone knows how much low-hanging fruit there is, right? Right. Yeah. Knowing that the tree isn't always full, right? It goes like the, the market economy will make the amount of fruit available to be picked up and down, right? And like that, you're Everything that you do from a reporting standpoint, especially in marketing, to your team and your bosses and your executives, should shouldn't be, what did we do? It should be, this is what we did, and this is what was available in the market, mm-hmm. right? And you have to create that perspective because that, you know, that sets you up for success.
1: Every SaaS company plays for high stakes, but what does it take to dominate the market right now? Welcome to Paris Talks Marketing, the podcast where we dive deep into the latest trends and strategies in SaaS marketing that are really working today. I'm your host, Paris, and our guests are SaaS CMOs, founders, and specialists. And we discuss one trendy topic in the industry per episode. Ready to unlock the true power of marketing strategy? In this theme, we'll explore the world of cutting edge marketing strategies and tactics that are shaking up the SaaS industry. We'll share insights on testing new tactics and uncover the latest developments from digital landscape giants like Google, Facebook, and LinkedIn. We'll also explore how AI is revolutionizing the digital landscape and transforming marketing tactics. So grab your headphones and get ready for a marketing strategy masterclass with Paris Talks Marketing. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. And today my guest is Chris Rack. Chris is the CEO of MRP, a company that connects B2B marketers with revenue-propelling demand solutions across the buyer journey. Chris's 17-plus years in B2B sales and marketing technology include scaling organizations from sub-10 million to 80 to 100 million in annual revenue. His journey reflects a commitment to driving success for teams and clients, fueling MRP's mission of impactful B2B connections with advanced account intelligence. All right, Chris, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for having me, Ferris. Appreciate it. Great to have you on. I'd like to learn a little bit more about MRP. Uh, what is the biggest problem that you're solving?
0: Um, really, it's a, a consistent pipeline generation that's attributable to the marketing side of the house, right? Mm-hmm. So we do a really good job of, kind of, I guess you would say, making the haystack smaller, right? Giving um, our marketing customers a, a tighter focus group of accounts to focus in on and then offer them a, a pretty robust suite of solutions to generate leads at all stages of the buyer journey to pass on to their selling orgs. So we work with you know some companies at the very top of funnel to kind of build that community of mm-hmm. target ICP decision makers that they can nurture and kind of work into you know pipeline and revenue long-term. And then we also have some solutions at the very bottom of the funnel or buy, bottom of the buyer's journey, looking to kind of more demand capture where you're looking for the hand raisers to turn into mm-hmm. short-term pipeline and revenue for their selling orgs.
1: And oh, we'll probably get into this a little bit more deeply later, but I also like to think about demand generation versus demand capture. And I, I do think in a lot of cases, it depends on the business. If, if it's an established, if, if it's a company in an established category where there is a lot of demand, and I think in terms, first in terms of search demand, we typically think, well, are you doing demand capture well enough? Are you getting in front of the people that are raising their hands today? They're in a market with high intent. If it's a less mature category or if it's a company that's really creating a whole new category uh, in a blue ocean or a purple ocean or whatever it is, but people aren't really aware of that, that their kind of solution even exists. They might not even be aware of the problem that they have, which that solution solves. Then I think this is more of a demand gen exercise to make people aware. How do you assess for your clients and companies that you work with, how do you assess how much effort? resources budget should we put on demand generation versus demand capture
0: yeah i mean i think in the b2b space there's, there's there always should be a little bit of both happening right a little bit of budget a little bit of resource focused on both capture and generation right but the first assessment thing from a go-to-market standpoint is is again that your tam and you know target icp and just the size of it right if you have there's a hundred fifty thousand transactions a year for your product or solution in your space, then obviously you're, you're looking to more capture because you know that there's a consistent mm-hmm. flow of buyers in market and it's just about finding them and scooping them. Right. But if you have a mm-hmm. very, a little bit more specific product where, well, you know, there might be 2000 transactions totally a year, right. Mm-hmm. Trying to find someone in market is like, again, shooting fish in a barrel, you know, somewhat impossible. So you have to really focus more of your efforts on creating demand long-term. So when One of those two thousand transactions pops up. The first thing they think about is your company, and they're coming to you, right? So, Mm -hmm. easy example: if I were to if I were to be selling voice over IP or phone system solutions or instant messaging or website chat, something that literally could be sold to every business that has a website or a phone, right? Then I would be Mm -hmm. heavily focused on demand capture, right? If I'm if I was selling a very high end enterprise software solution that gets purchased once every six years. For multiple millions of dollars, like an ERP at you know a lot, you know a, a very large ERP to Fortune one thousand companies, I'd be looking more of a generation standpoint because again, trying to identify in-market in market buyers when a very when there's just not a lot of transactions is really hard to do. So that's how I would attack it.
1: Yeah, and I would presume that demand capture you expect to see results much more quickly than you would with demand generation, right? And
0: yes, it's, it's very much a long game right and it's the the hardest thing for ceos to understand i think that the capture versus you know generate conversation is a relatively new one in our space right but i think it's helping some ceos understand it a bit more right there's only so many people in market right now in our space we can't we can't just magically go to google and create more searches right then we Mm -hmm. can't just magically create more buying especially now in a down economy the amount of in-market buyers given where the economy sits is significantly lower. And that's why a lot of go-to-market motions, especially in the B2B SaaS space are breaking right now, because Mm -hmm. there's been so much focus on capture, right? And the short-term wins and and heavily investing in capture to grow fast and then sell or get a big valuation or something of that nature that now that it's not happening and there's not as much in market, there's a lot of go-to markets that are just, you know, leaders that are just, they're kind of pulling their hair out, trying to figure out what am I supposed to do?
1: Do you think a lot of people that are Putting that are still putting pressure on marketing teams to maintain growth in this current economy. Do you think it's it's really naive or it's misguided that, that you can still expect, um, even even with less budget and less demand in the market, you can expect the same kind of growth? I mean, is it how can Correct. you still have a high pressure to grow fast? But really a need to do demand generation, which is a long game.
0: It's we're unfortunately in like a real the hardest phase of of a transition from, you know, what was a, a very booming economy, especially in tech from likely t- roughly 2018 to 22 or the early parts of 2022, where a lot of it, I mean, the problem is a lot of investment happened in businesses in that segment, right. With based on go to market motions and, and analytics and data that is now completely, completely irrelevant given the market economy change, right? Mm-hmm. So the pressure, the pressure is coming from expectations, you know, from years, from investments that happened years prior that now just are feasible, right? So it's, it's unfair, right? It's not realistic, but it doesn't make it any less. It's going to continue to happen until that wave of, I don't want to say poor investment, but let's say over aggressive investment, right? Based on inflated market economics, you know, tends to dry down a bit, right? Once the world comes back to reality, right? This, we, we saw the same thing in, in the 2000s with the the dot-com boom, right? And then there's a big, whole lot of expectations. Everything hits a wall, then reality sets in for a while. Then it emerged mm-hmm. again, and you know it's 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 very much a wave. So I think yeah. these expectations to do more with less—they'll they'll always be that, right? Yeah, you know, if you're a good CEO, you should always be pushing your team to drive more with less resources. But I think the the crazy expectations of forty to forty-five percent growth, right, just because like that's the norm, right? Because you know those those days are are far from us. The rule of forty will always exist, right? I mean, that's your. Finding that combination between profitability, you know, and EBITDA and growth, right? You know, balanced around the rule of forty. That's a that's a that's a function that I don't think ever will go away, right? But what will has moved away is the is leveraging eighty percent growth and negative negative forty percent profitability to hit that rule of forty, right? And that's where the business is shifting more to slower, smarter, but still aggressive growth metrics combined with profitability.
1: Hey, uh, I might have missed it, but, but tell me again, what is the rule
0: of forty? Um, so if you're looking at, you're upon your growth, right, percentage growth, right, minus EBITDA profit in a EBITDA, so you want that e- to equal 40, right? And again, mm-hmm. I might be butchering that a smidge, right, with my financial metric because I am not by any means a CFO, right? But Okay. You know, so like if, so I if were, you're
1: growing at 80, if your EBITDA is at 40%, you should be growing at 80%?
0: Oh, so it's, if I'm growing at 80%, right, I can operate at negative 40% EBITDA. I could be burning and churning cash, I could be losing money because my growth rate's high. Right. But if I'm growing at a 10% clip, then my EBITDA should be at a 30% margin. Again, one plus one should equal 40, no matter how it sits, right? So over the past two, three years, that equation has been overweighted to growth, right? 60% growth minus 20% EBITDA. Again, you could lose money if you're still growing aggressively and still end up being a great business. But now, mm-hmm. now that we've hit a bit of a wall, especially with valuations and interest rates and all that, like it's, we're coming back to reality, right? That you need, you need to be, let's grow at 20% and let's find 20% profitability in our business and not be mm-hmm. losing money as we continue to skip.
1: Yeah. Now in that kind of environment, and I do think things are starting to move back towards equilibrium and uh, trending back towards the norm, but the reality is that marketing budgets have been slashed and Mostly they're still slashed teams have been reduced. and the tough market conditions you could argue that there's some light at the end of the tunnel now. I think generative AI has injected a lot of excitement and and in, in, in generative AI and all the whole ecosystem that's mushrooming around it today, it could really pull us all out of this and it might. but still today we're in a tough tough economy. but let's talk about the prioritizing budget and resources. So let's say you're a CMO in a SaAS company. And your budget has just been reduced to 30% of of what it once was. And you've got a team, you've got campaigns running across the funnel in multiple channels and multiple ad networks. What is the right thought process for? Do you just shrink everything down proportionally across the funnel? Or do you reallocate across the funnel if you've got 30% of what you once had? Or what is the right way? How would you advise a company to think about reallocating budget when it's going to reduce so dramatically.
0: So, I, yeah, I don't think it's per se like a just an even flow across. The, I mean, first and foremost, you should maximize. And again, I would be giving the same advice if I was just starting a brand new business, right? You should You should maximize your capture, right? You should invest as much as you can to maximize the amount of demand that is out there to capture first and foremost, because that's going to be your most directed ROI, right? Mm-hmm. So again, if there's, A hundred, and again, I'm using simple, simple math, but if there's a hundred thousand Google searches for my product or solution, I want to make sure that I've invested in the places that maximizes the amount of return I can get from those hundred thousand searches, right? Consistently. And again, you can't win all that market share. You can't get all of those people to your site to convert and become demos. But over time, you should be able to understand what, 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 where can I cap there, right? What is my maximum that I can pull from that capture audience? And again, that's usually limited to search, right? That's, that's where most of the capture comes from, right? Mm -hmm. You have so like, I would start there and I would put as much, as many as my dollars and resources that were required to maximize that because that's going to have the, the strongest short-term influence on my marketing attributed, right? Mm -hmm. From there, then you start kind of waterfalling down to what's going to have the second most immediate and longer term impact on the business as a whole. Right. And for me, I believe that building up email has been the tactically one of the most, the better performing marketing tactics for the better part of most of the years that I've been in the space, right? If you go to HubSpot's annual marketing B2B metrics report, you know, it'll be which one of your most successful tactics. It's almost almost always email, right? But Mm -hmm. buyers are shifting more and more and people are changing jobs more frequently and a lot of that's happening. So like building out a quality marketable database of folks that you can email to consistently communicate is where I would secondarily put my dollars, right? Cause you're going to get some short-term return from there. Right. And again, you could do this through, you know, content syndication and engagement. You could do it through, you know, however it is that you can build up that marketable database of quality ICP people that you can hit regularly with quality content via email to turn them into both hand raisers in the short term, but also, you know, continue to educate them on your product or solution long-term. So it's kind of a, hybrid, you know, demand capture and then demand gen play. And then third, you know, I'd love to say it's from a dollar's perspective, right? You know, brand is the hardest thing to invest money into, right? But you could do brand and you could do thought leadership on the cheap right? You can have a great social presence on LinkedIn, right? There are automation tools that could influence the amount of connections that you make, right? And then building your own per, you could, you could work, reach out to your employees and encourage them to have their own personal brands and share content and thought leadership. These are all things that cost pennies, right? but can have a, a significant influence on your brand as a whole, from a thought leadership perspective. So instead of spending money on the airport ad or the billboard, right. You know, turn your employees Mm -hmm. into the airport ad or the billboard by educating them on how to create a personal brand, how to start creating their own personal thought leadership on social channels that I think can have a really big influence. So that's how in a Mm -hmm. tight market, focus on the capture as much as you know, maximize it. Once you've reached that limit and your second budget pool is building out a, a marketable Data database of target ICP buyers that you could turn into both capture and generation, and then educate your team, mm-hmm. you know, on social and how to cost effectively leverage social without a lot of high dollars spent.
1: And how about podcasting? Where does that sit? Would you advise to do that? Would, in a- you
0: know, I would throw it in the social, right? Again, it's free. I don't. it's not free, it costs, right? There are some costs that come with it, cost of mm-hmm. time, cost of tech, like, you know, depends on what platform you're using. I would throw that into kind of a a social mechanism because it kind of sits, you know, you're mostly pushing the pods out on social networks to drive engagement with them and demand, and I think it's a great tactic. I have, and one of the first things we did at at MRP was was start a podcast, right? And again, Mm -hmm. both for, and and it works great for both capture and generate because, you know, like a lot of times The folks joining the podcast may be your customers, right? So making the opportunity Mm -hmm. to connect with them and invite them to build their own personal brand and be part of their journey increases those relationships and allows you to kind of grow the, you know, grow business and grow the relationships there as well. So there's very much short-term wins with podcasts and long-term as well. Why, you know, eventually people start watching them. Hopefully you catch a little wildfire and then they end up like your podcast and you have a regular user base. So. Well, let's hope so. Most podcasts don't make it past episode. 12, I think I read, uh, I read yeah, a kind of interesting, sometimes interesting, it's just yeah. about doing it. You can separate yourself from the, the pack just by continuing on. R-
1: refusing to let go.
0: Yeah. There's a, there's so many, I guess you would say lurkers, right? I mean, LinkedIn and, and different social channels, like there's such a big focus on likes and engagements, right? And and, and I, I get it, right? But I, I can tell you that more people and events and places that, that have been referenced my social um and things that I've said on it or things that I say regularly that then have ever commented on. Right. I'll meet people and they're like, Oh, I because I, I do a one of my common posts is I do a, a a post every Monday or Tuesday, like, you know, referencing Mr. Miyagi and the karate the karate kid. Right. Whereas, you know, two mm-hmm. rules for two rules for something. And it's always like rule one, do this, rule two, first learn, rule number one. Right. So it's yeah. one of my regular posts, and I can't tell you how many people I meet at events who reference mm-hmm. Mr. Miyagi, who never commented or posted, or I've never had an engagement with socially, but it, it just goes to show that like people do watch, people do listen, people do resonate. There's a lot of lurkers on things like podcasts and socials that never engage, but doesn't mm-hmm. mean you're not reaching them. You're not kind of engaging with them.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that, yeah, that's happened to me also, and I, I can really relate to that, that sometimes... I might not get the this, this social engagement, but then in person, people, people say, "Yeah, I keep seeing you and keep it up." So that gives me a lot of encouragement.
0: It does yeah. it really is so
1: yeah well let's uh, let's stay on this theme about how to do more with less, and let's talk about getting a marketing plan approved by your CFO. So now the CFO is a new player and one of the one of the gatekeepers to the marketing budget. And the CFO doesn't really understand or appreciate very much anything in marketing, but they see they, they see this as a cost, not as an investment. And you've got some specific recommendations here. So how would you advise a, a CMO or a marketing director to get their plan approved through the CFO and then ultimately up to the CEO?
0: And it's happening oh, so much. I mean, the CFO is in every decision now. Like it used to be like you know, if it was over 50 or a hundred K or some sort of, you know, like then they would check with me, but now it's every dollar going out is getting executive eyes, especially from a finance standpoint. Right. And my, my first recommendation, and I know I'll probably have some folks who are, or haters on this is just, just stop with all the crazy attribution conversations. There's no CFO or CEO who is going to get marketing attribution, right? The first touch, last touch, like it's just not going to happen. You could pay for infinite amounts of software that try to explain attribution, that try to build better reports around attribution. But there's no way that a CFO or a CEO is going to understand that because you sent them an email 17 months ago, it gets a 0.2% attribution ratio on the deal that happened on that. That's why, again, it's unfortunate, but that's why sales organizations tend to be in the most favor of the executive team because they're the one who said, I cold called Bob and I closed it. Yeah. And Bob picked up the phone and then I scheduled the meeting and then I closed the deal with Bob and they can, and then that's what happens. But, you know, like either, you know, they don't see the 300 touches to Bob that happened via email Ooh. and syndication and other touch points that contributed to that. But again, it's just that there are battles to fight and that isn't one of them, right? So as you, anything you do from a marketing perspective, you have to showcase, like mm. when I pitch to my customers, right? I have what we call a, uh, the CFO slide. It's three things. It's one slide. How much does it cost? What do I get? And why does it matter? Mm -hmm. If you can't can't explain it to a CFO or a CEO in one slide with three bullets, then you're ice skating uphill.
1: Yeah. So then that's for the CEO. So what are some of the keys then? If if you've got a marketing plan, I'm with you on the attribution. I think it's very difficult to explain how credit can be distributed. And I think it's also very hard to measure now because... Qualitative attribution really is the reality that a lot of people will become aware of and form an opinion of your brand in ways that you have no way to measure. There won't ever be a click. There might not even be an impression. It could be word of mouth or uh, otherwise. But let's say you've got a CFO and a CEO that just thinks in a last click attribution mindset. How do you present a plan that shows them we want to take 30% of this marketing budget and spend it on I don't know, invest in a podcast or building out content? Or other non-bottom of funnel campaigns.
0: Yes, e- I mean, it's easy to it's easy to showcase what not to do, right? Don't focus on attribution, right? But you know, mm-hmm. here I am saying, well, what am I supposed to do? That right? So the first thing is, first and foremost, make sure that they know that you've maximized all of the bottom of the funnel, right? Capture resources within your budget scoop, right? Like the first, mm-hmm. like you should say, hey, we're spending X amount of dollars here. Right, identifying people who are in market for what we sell right now. Right. And I cannot put any more dollars into this. There are simply no, there are simply no more buyers that are in market. Right. So you you could mm-hmm. give me a hundred thousand dollars a month more to spend on Google and it would do nothing for our business. Right. So that's the first conversation that has to happen. You have to make them competent that you've exhausted the resources and finding the low hanging fruit. Because every executive thinks there's got to be people out there looking to buy. You just have to go find them. That's your job marketing explaining to them that there is a law of diminishing returns. Here's the amount of searches. Here's the amount that we can realistically capture given our market share, given the amount of vendors in our space and et cetera. And there's nothing I can do with this specific segment that I can drive more return from. That's first, because you have to get that out of the way because they're always going to assume that that's there, right? Second from there is, I mean, you have to understand that most executives are just as human as you are, right? And they like to do two things. One, follow trends and B, do what their friends do. Right, like th- those are two human characteristics that even the most seasoned executive will fall will will definitely roll for. Right, so the easiest way to get someone to to get a CEO to buy into something that you want to do is showcase somebody, a company in your space, or another CEO that they they're connected with, or someone that they know, or someone that looks, acts, and talks like them in the space, and say that they're doing it and seeing success. If you want to start a podcast, show your CEO repodcast that your competitors are doing and say, we're missing out because our competitors are doing it. You want yeah. to spend money on brand with a billboard or whatever, show them two competitors in your space that are doing it, right? And again, that keeping up with the Joneses mindset works wonders with executives. Right? Yeah, that's,
1: well, that, that's also a very, a very great sales tactic in general, whether if you're selling to your CEO or if you're selling to anyone else's CEO. No just, one wants
0: to be left out. No one wants to be the person not doing what everyone's doing.
1: Right, right? yeah, because you you, you wonder well, they're doing it. I'm not doing it. They must know something that I don't know, and exactly. I need to do it to to know what I don't know.
0: So it works works a t- like works a ton, right? It's
1: basic human psychology.
0: The other thing you can do like, to get your things approved is go on the offensive. What happens, and especially in marketing teams, right? It tends to be a very reactionary thing, right? I got my budget cut, right? And what mm-hmm. and the miss there for most marketing leaders is that like you know the market's bad, right? Like all you got to do is jump on LinkedIn. In the first part of 2023, to read every technology company in the world, laying off thousands and thousands of people to know exactly where this ship is going, right? Mm -hmm. But most didn't get on the offensive, right? Go to the CEO, go to the CFO and say, here's my plan for reducing cost in my business, right? That way you can control the narrative. You're controlling how much the cost is. You're controlling what parts of the business you are cutting versus having somebody come in who is looking at an Excel spreadsheet and say, you should cut this, this, and this usually headcount right maybe you didn't want to cut headcount maybe you wanted to cut tools software services etc or paid to keep your heads there because you know recruiting people is really really hard you have to as a marketing especially a marketing executive sales executive you have to go on the offensive when you feel something is coming and say hey this is this is what my plan is to cut costs in the business and still drive growth because not only will you get immediate respect from your executive team because you were the person who was who is forward-thinking enough to say, this is what's best for the business, You'll, mm-hmm. your cuts will be less because you did that, right? Because now, yeah. now you're part of the group. Now you're contributing to the positive momentum of the company in a tough time versus somebody complaining that they got their quote-unquote budget cut.
1: Now, a quick word from our sponsor. The Paris Talks Marketing Show is affiliated with Hop Online, a performance marketing agency focused on high-growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at Hop Online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs. And you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot, online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, back to the episode. Well, let's, let's pivot over to another area of growth that I know you're very familiar with, which is product-led growth. And I know that there's different understandings of this. And earlier we were discussing this, and you think that a lot of people don't get product-led growth. Well, what are they missing? What, what are they not understanding or doing wrong when it comes to product-led growth?
0: I mean, that the, the first misconception by most executives in product-led growth is that you don't need a selling organization, that you create a great product and people will just magically buy it, right? And again, in some of the big ham type environments, yes, but you know, and again, a classic example is Slack, right? The, the, the <coughs> king of all kings of product-led growth scenario, right? You put out a freemium, people start using it, it magically turns into revenue, right? That happens. That, that's great up into a certain inflection point, right? But mm-hmm. enterprises, especially large businesses, don't freemium, right? Networks are locked down. So product-led immediately runs into roadblocks mm-hmm. there because how are you going to be product-led if you can't get your freemium or your trial or your product in the hands of enough people to lead the growth from there? Two, it runs into major issues at scale, again, with large companies because of scale and because of multiple decision makers and because of Buying units and all of that, right? Like it's great to, for the, if you're really targeting a really tiny or small business space or individual users, right? If I have a tool that I'm trying to sell to developers, product that's great because developers usually maintain their own stack, some of the paper tools themselves to make their day productive. But enterprise selling at large scale, you're always going to run into issues, right? Two, just because you make a great product that might be a freemium doesn't mean that people know it exists or will be able to find it. And, and that equation cost a lot, right? Like most product led quote unquote companies burn, burn and churn millions of dollars monthly in sales and sales, but mostly marketing cost in paid search and billboards and brand and all of that, because those, I mean, some of there's some virality to those products, right? But it's not exclusive, right? Like mm-hmm. sometimes that virality is, is, I guess you would say that fire is caused by spending a whole lot of money on paid mediums to get that mm-hmm. viral start, right? Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. especially now in a tougher economy where unit metrics are, are more difficult and there's a lot mm-hmm. more scrutiny on actual outbound spend, creating that virality to really grow on a purely product-led model is really, really challenging. So it's, you know, but if you look at all of the, I mean, you could probably count on this many hands, this many fingers, the amount of product-led companies that have truly scaled, Slack, Canva, Atlassian, right.
1: I would maybe say HubSpot and I would put HubSpot in that list with their free CRM. Right.
0: Yeah. You know yes. But the, but they really but I mean HubSpot really grew as one of the first content led companies, I think. Right. They yeah. they created ridiculously great content that wasn't about their product, that was just designed to help businesses and marketing, right? And they drove a whole hmm. ton of people to HubSpot as a thought leadership in that space and then said, Oh, and by the way, we have a CRM. Right. Hmm. So but even so, ad hut's but it we're at four. I've been doing this 17 years. You've been doing it a long time. We're and we're, and we're struggling to get past four, right? Mm-hmm. So there's outside of those four, there's you know thousands who try, right? Who have freemiums, who have product-led motions that no one knows anything about. Because mm-hmm. again, it's wouldn't it's, you say that, to just to
1: take the contrarian view here, Chris, that even sophisticated enterprise buyers, if they have the ability, would still prefer to if they're well educated and have done research in the space. Or maybe even switching from a, another product so they know they know the category they know the features they know what they want wouldn't they prefer to quickly get their hands on the product to see quickly is does this do xyz better than my current option rather than commit to like an hour on a, on a demo call with a salesperson
0: smaller i mean small parts of them good right but then and, 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 i mean again if it's most enterprise software is way more complicated than you know, way more complicated than it seems right even simple on i mean almost every piece of enterprise software requires some sort of integration right i mean if you're if you're in the sales and marketing space i challenge you to find a good piece of enterprise software that doesn't connect with a crm or a marketing automation tool right so if i'm using a premium right that i'm not There's even no can, integration yeah you're not yeah, going to be not committed to right so if i'm not it, it's free and i'm testing it but if i can't integrate it with my salesforce or my crm instance then am i really getting? Am I really showcasing the value of the product if I won't even integrate it with my, my systems? And, and am mm-hmm. I going to integrate it if it's only a free, right? So there's, there's, in the B2B space, there's just so many challenges because it's hard pressed to find a piece of software that doesn't have to engage with another piece of software, right? And like, yeah. that's another significant challenge of the product led motion, right? Again, you, you can't, I could test out even Slack, right? Slack by itself is fine, but the real value of Slack is once you start connecting it to all of the other things that it connects with and all the integrations at the marketplace and all of that once when mm-hmm. slack becomes your ecosystem to how all of your apps speak to each other and communicate with your team you know where really, you can't really get the value of that truly in the free version because the integrations are limited and also are you really going to integrate all of your tech stack to something that's free that you might not commit to long term right so there's it's one of those things that when it were wor- yeah. and again it's like facebook right i mean like the like Sure, we would all love to have come up with that idea, but for every ten thousand startups trying to be Facebook, you know, nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine of them failed, right? But everybody talks mm-hmm. about the the one instance that you hit lightning in a bottle, and I think it's very similar in the product led space, right? It's really, it's significantly more challenging than a lot of the folks who push product led think it mm-hmm. is, because again, it's fairly new, costs a lot of money, and again, developers aren't cheap, right? Like that talent, really good talent, then you know, marketers who understand the unit economics of product-led to make sure you're not overspending and all of that. Again, that talent's not easy to find either. So the same challenges that you would see with a sales-led motion or a partner-led motion or another go-to market, right? You're going to see with product-led motions, right? But there's this perception that create a freemium and if it's really, really good, people will come to you, right? And the field of, and the field of dreams approach to building a business is pretty risky, you know, like I don't... yeah. You know, like I'd rather have I'd rather have a little bit more control of my destiny going forward versus I'm going to build this really good thing and I hope people start telling their friends about it and we're going to be we're going to be rich and sit here and wait and stare at the, the metrics.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a compelling case and in particular for enterprise, a lot of good reasons. The integrations thing also I hadn't considered. I mean, do you think that generally the tech stacks are, are just getting way too way too complex now and? Marketers have to manage uh, so many different SaaS tools. I mean, the toolboxes are getting too large, too fragmented. I mean, are we are we entering a phase where there's going to be more consolidation of tech into these all-encompassing tools, like a ClickUp, for example?
0: Yeah, I think consolidation or elimination. I think people are going to get to the point where like, do I do I really need this? Right, and again, that's where that CFO comes in play. Right, so a lot of these a lot of these tech stack tools are nice to have. Attribution, attribution tools, right? Like player tools, right? Things that make my life just a little bit easier, right? Like at the end of the day, in this market, now that we've reached, now that we've passed the, let's call it the tech boom of 2018 to 2022, right? The CFO is going to say, Hey, I'm cutting your budget. So, um, if I have, if I'm a marketing person with a team of 10, right. And I have to find 200 K of cost savings over the next fiscal year, right. Is it five tools? Right at twenty five K each for 125K or is it John on my team? Yeah. Right. And when and when you're asking yourself those difficult questions, you really start saying, is this tech worth it? Do I really need this to go forward and drive my mm-hmm. business forward? Or is it really just a nice to have that I was working with because I had a solid budget? Then Chris,
1: in your opinion, then if I'm that CFO, or uh, well, maybe not the CFO, but if I'm if I have to cut my tech stack and I can keep only three, what would those three be? What are the three tools that a, a marketer simply can't live without?
0: What, I mean, one of them's a sale, uh, most commonly referred to as a sales tool, but I think is, should be one of the most valuable tools for any revenue team, right? And that, that one is, let's call it conversational intelligence, right? So, gong, right? basically call recording and analytics software. The amount of value that your revenue organization can get from recording all of the calls that you're on and driving, in some cases, yeah. analytics from them, but training, yeah. sales enablement, market trends analysis, the amount of value that can come from just that tech, right? I mean, if I'm a marketing leader and my marketing team isn't listening to th- two or three sales calls a week, right, then we're missing, right? Because that's how that yeah. gap goes. So that's first, like any, any revenue team needs some sort of tech there. Gong is a big one, right? But there's a bunch of folks emerging. I use, I use a company called Sybil, yeah. right? plug mm-hmm. for the, the relatively new to the space and they're doing wicked cool things with AI, recapping my calls with AI, even telling me the propensity to buy of a call based on artificial intelligence models, right? So how do you how do you spell that by the way? It's S Y B-I-L-L, Sybil.ai. Sybil.ai. I'm going to check that out. Really wicked. Yeah. I mean, it is, there's a lot of folks in the space who are trying to do AI call analysis, right? But it's really mm-hmm. not. And again, I'll give you like a little history of them. I mean the company was founded by by two professors that I think Cal Berkeley, don't quote me on that, but a very high end institution during COVID who were frustrated that their students weren't were turning on their Zooms and leaving for their classes. Right. So they built technology yeah. that tracks, built technology that not only tracks who's, who's sitting there, but also engagement. So. Sybil, will be able to tell you if, if somebody was on the Zoom call with you when you're pitching them how engaged they were on the call based on how it reads the nonverbals of the, of the video.
1: Oh, really? It, go, it goes just beyond the what they're saying, but even body language and uh, are, they,
0: are they looking at the camera? Did they look away, etc. It's really, really cool. Like, and again, I don't, I, I don't usually get geeked out by software, right? But mm-hmm. this one, this would geek me out. Man. So that one, I mean, obviously, you need a CRM, right? Like something. You need a CRM mm-hmm. that basically houses all account yeah. level contact level information from an analytics standpoint. Like that's mm-hmm. foundationally you need it. You know, but but outside of that, I mean I marketing automation tools, right? With you know, most marketers mm-hmm. say you need that in the stack, but I, I think you need something there, but not as much as you used to. You know, I think email is going to be hard to a harder medium to keep engagement with long term, mm-hmm. right? Um, just given that a lot of mailboxes are getting tougher just to just to get into via a lot of you know, like that. And and a lot, and there's so much, there's just so much messaging happening now. Like you mentioned generative AI earlier. It's going to create a monster of outbound messaging. Like the- Yeah, the which bomb, is
1: personalized at
0: scale. Which is personalized at scale.
1: Yeah, so, I was, I was actually checking out Clay today. Have you heard of Clay?
0: I have I've, I've engaged with uh, Lavender and a, a, a company called Reggie, right? Who do personalization and scale through AI as well. So those are the ones that I buffed into, mm-hmm. but it's, all, they're all very, you know, it's going to, there's going to be a rush of it, then it's going to immediately get crushed. My personal take on, gener- you know, like is, is that, I think it's going to, it's going to be a wave and it's going to really, really slow down, right. Depending mm-hmm. on how, like, like there's already some press about, you know, Google's yeah. algorithms and Bing's algorithms and all the algorithms deprioritizing content written by generative AI because it's mm-hmm. duplicative okay. and all that stuff. So I think there's a lot of, I think Sellers and marketers who know how to use it the right way as a, as a tool in the toolbox to make them a bit more efficient, they're going to see wild success with it. Those yeah. who rely on it to replace tasks from an automation standpoint, I think will struggle.
1: Yeah, I fully agree. I think of it as if you're using it to create content that is designed, well, first of all, for SEO, if you, if you want to get content ranked in search, that that's a losing strategy. But if you need to scale out content, like we had an idea in our agency recently that we've worked with hundreds of clients over the years, but we only have published maybe around 20 case studies. Could we use generative AI to publish 100, 200 case studies, like in one month? Because if we can pull the right information from those projects, however old they, they may be, could, could we write case studies that are still good enough, well-written, compelling? And they generally tell the story. It wouldn't be as good as a human writing them, but we could do a hundred in a month, that kind of a task. And that, that's what gets me excited. And it could, and personalization at scale for outbound also, I think is, is pretty cool because everybody's going to be doing it maybe in six months to a year, but I think we're still in that window that most cold email is is absolute garbage. I mean, I, most of the cold email that I get on a daily basis doesn't even say, hi, Paris, but it just says, hello there. You know, and, and as soon as I see that, I just know, oh God, this is, this is inexcusable that you didn't even, you know, plug in a merge tag with my first name, you know. But I think that the personalization uh, of that stuff, because you're not you're not trying to outsmart Google, you're not trying to rank any content in yeah. search, but you're trying to get something across that sh- that proves that uh, it's personalized. So I think those are two great use cases.
0: I, I mean, what, what would take an, uh, a seller to write a five-minute email if it takes 35 seconds, right? If you can, if, you, if Generative AI can read someone's LinkedIn profile and give you an intro or reference point to it versus having to click on their LinkedIn, read it. Think about it, yeah. go through it, right? And again, freeze about it, overthink about it, right? That's the real win, right? Generative yeah. AI, 35 seconds, personalized email at scale. Human, 35 minutes of overthinking of it. Can I write this perfect email and all that? Right. Especially sellers as well too. But I like, yeah. I, like I love it for really the, sometimes it's almost like a, like I get them like write the first sentence type thing, right? You know, yeah. like if, if I'm at like a, like a LinkedIn post where I know what I want to say, but I just can't start. Or I can't finish, right? I'll I'll say like, hey, write me a LinkedIn post about this topic, and I'll like, oh, okay, that's how that's how I could start it. It'll kind of like, yeah, it'll be flowing. It'll get my creative side working without, yeah, adding. just
1: it's like you're not staring at the blank page or a blank screen.
0: It's not looking at the dot one like this.
1: Like, yeah, saying, yeah, think of something. Get started. Yeah, excellent. Well, Chris, this has been fantastic, and I feel like we could geek out on on the tech and the AI stuff now for a whole another hour but we'll probably, we should say that for, for the next episode. Is there anything that I did not ask you that you wished I would have asked you?
0: No, I think we really covered it. Right. I mean, it's, you know, I'll, I'll just, I think for the most part, it's just that, you know, that really, really the demand capture versus generation is something that's really been taking the steam as the, as the market is, has churned. Right. And I guess the biggest Mm -hmm. takeaway that I've been working with my marketing team on and a lot of my customers were saying is again, where are we? Where are we focusing our efforts, right? And also tracking marketing return from both sides of it, right? Being able to tell your CEO, like there was this much capture available. We got this much, right? Mm-hmm. And then we also, on top of that, we generated this much outside of that from creating interest on. And again, it, that's the, it, it was kind of a light bulb moment for me when I was thinking through how to best attack grow from a marketing perspective, right? Is looking at it from those two buckets independently and and actually tracking your metrics on that. Because again, capture is a very different skill set to grow.
1: Absolutely. It's uh, simple and fundamental, but it's extremely important, especially when you have got to to do more with less. Reach for the low-hanging fruit and then go up to the next level if you can, if you have anything
0: left. And make sure everyone knows how much low-hanging fruit there is, right? Right, yeah. Knowing that the tree isn't always full. Right. It goes you know, like the, the market economy will, will make the amount of fruit available to be picked up and down. Right. And like that, your everything that you do from a reporting standpoint, especially in marketing to your team and your bosses and your executives should, shouldn't be, what did we do? It should be, this is what we did. And this is what was available in the market. Yeah. Right. And you have to create that perspective because that, you know, that sets you up for success. And again, having that realistic conversation of like, Hey, in 2021, you know, Page traffic for this topic was 200,000 a month right now it's 75,000, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm a lot of times what's happening now is you're actually, most marketers are acquiring more capture per volume than they were historically. So like Mm -hmm. what might be a decline in overall number of leads or pipeline or ROI Mm -hmm. might actually could be rephrased as, Hey, actually we're doing better. In 2021, we had this many leads out of this much search, right? In Mm -hmm. 2023, we have this many leads, the same or a little bit lower out of one third of the opportunity. Yeah, we're
1: capturing a higher share of qualified searches. So that's a
0: key metric. We've
1: improved our messaging. We've we've improved our click-through rates, our conversion rates, on landing pages all the basic blocking and tackling.
0: Every executive will get that. Okay, that makes sense now, right? Versus looking at it just on a pure, what did you do metric? Right, looking at the looking at the history of what was what the opportunity was versus what you did will will help teams not only you know continue to grow but continue to get investment from their leadership from a budget and, and that perspective.
1: Yeah, great great advice. Absolutely. And I do have one final question because I've been sure. I've been looking at this on your t shirt for the whole conversation. What does the seven hundred k represent?
0: Yeah, that is the amount of. It is the amount of conversations that we have with B two B decision makers, asking them what are they looking to purchase in the next twelve months, right? So we co- yeah. we compile that data, and that I mentioned earlier how we we kind of make the haystack smaller, right? So we take that data and we layer it on our services to make sure we're focusing marketing spend and marketing budgets on the right people at the right time. So uh, that's where mm-hmm. the seven hundred comes from.
1: Seven hundred k per year uh, annual, yes, yeah, we have annual ones. people that are asking salespeople that are asking specifically. What are you looking to, to purchase in the it's, next I mean we, have, we,
0: we have, I mean, we between we do quite a bit of uh, outbound email, right? We do quite a bit of outbound direct mail. We do quite a bit of outbound phone calling, right? Where we have engagements with B2B decision makers, where we ask them, you know, in some form or fashion, sometimes a survey, sometimes a conversation, you know, what are you looking to buy? What what projects do you have coming up? What investments are you making? We take those answers, compile them into about 700 different software and technology categories and then we. Run campaigns against those categories to drive leads and pipeline for our customers. So that's kind of our secret sauce.
1: Wow! I finally got the secret sauce, and at the at the last minute here, that's great. Well, that, I I love that strategy actually because it's all about asking that right question. Because if you don't ask it, they probably won't tell you. But if you say, well, yeah, what 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 are you looking to invest in? What are you looking at? And and then they say it, then you can map that. Really, and you can map that to those uh, software categories. Very very cool.
0: Awesome. Well, well, thanks so much, Chris. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for spending the time with me, Chris. I'll let you get back to it and uh, have a great day ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hophop.online. Have a great day.